So this month, I want us to deal with Jesus really said that. And I can't even tell you how many passages went through my mind about, ooh, Jesus really said that too. Like, I wonder what they're going to do with that one. And ooh, Jesus really said that. And I wonder what people would do with that, right? Almost like you can't be my follower if you don't hate your mother, your brother, your sister, your, you know, your uncle, your mammy. Maybe you can't, I can't be your follower if I don't hate people, right? Like, and then we want to dress it up and say, well, Jesus really didn't say that. He said this. And, but I wonder if we can really wrestle with the text in a way that, no, Jesus actually said that. And for me, there's been this kind of transformation going on, this uh, wrestling with the Spirit. Because um, if you guys haven't noticed, I've lost quite a bit of weight, right? And I'm still losing weight. Uh, and I've been fasting a lot. And I remember when I first started, someone asked the question, are you fasting for spiritual reasons or health reasons? And I was like, well, I'm actually just fasting not to be fat anymore. But... You can't fast hard without dealing with the spirit. And Hefty, if you guys know him, he's the bearded white dude who works with me. He used to live here in Ripon, plays guitar. He handed me this book called The Celebration of Disciplines. I have to tell you, this book has totally wrecked my world. I like to be the one that wrecks people's worlds, but this book is wrecking my world right now. And and it's talking about the spiritual disciplines of meditation, prayer, fasting, and scripture, and worship. And all these ways that I've misconceived who God is and what he says. And so I want to challenge you as we walk through this. I, I, the first two weeks, we're going to definitely deal with the Beatitudes. I have an open in the third week right now, and that's because I don't know if we'll get through all eight Beatitudes, because you guys know how I get in those first two weeks. And then the fourth week, we're going to deal with the sheep and the goats. But I, I want to challenge you to throw out everything that you think you knew about the Beatitudes. Come with fresh ears, an open mind. Because as I get challenged to my core, I want you to be challenged too. I think when we think we know what's going to be said or is said, we miss the whole point of what's being said. And so if you have the ability to hold a merit to you and begin looking at you and ask some of the questions that I'm going to ask of yourself, I think we're going to say, Jesus really said that? Like that's something that's real. And I want to say, yeah, it is. So if you open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. It says, now... When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, 
for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let us pray. Father, we come right now and we are so grateful for who and what you are, the things that you do and the ways that you work. And, and right now we come humbled by your majesty, by your power, your grace, your love, your compassion. Your willingness to work with us. We're in awe of you all the time. And so right now, Father, I pray that the words that are spoken are the words that you have chosen for your children today. I pray that you remove all distractions, internal and external, from us. I pray that you help us to be open and honest with your word. I pray that you are glorified to the highest. I pray that you are exalted because that's what you deserve. I pray that you are God Almighty in our hearts and our minds. We thank you for everything that you do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Wow, there's lots of water bottles up here. So I'm sure these are things that we've heard preached a lot through our lifetimes. Have you ever looked at it like it was a menu? Like uh, you could pick the one you wanted because I like the reward that's on the other end. Right? I don't really have to do the rest of them. Like I'd like to inherit the earth. So let me just hunger and thirst for righteousness and I'll be blessed and inherit the earth. Or if the kingdom of heaven sounds good, uh, I could probably do the poor in spirit one, but I don't know about that persecution one. Like, God, we got to talk about that one. So is there a way I can get one, with, get the reward without really doing all the work for both? Or do I have to do both in order to get that reward? Right? When you think about being a parent and your kid, you tell your kid, you know, you need to go clean your room and eat all your food and you'll get the dessert tonight. What happens if they only do one of them? Well, I'll cut your dessert in half. You can have the other half tomorrow after you do the other half of your job. Right? Like, I don't know if we've ever, I mean, at least for me, right? And, and maybe it's because I didn't necessarily grow up in the church and so I, I didn't have this, the, the, the structural framework of knowing how to necessarily work with scripture yet or how, even how to hear it. But I used to think it was like a menu too and, and these were just different attributes that Christian people display. And so when I say take everything that you think you knew and throw it to the side, and just hear what I have to say to you today. I want to challenge you to hear this as 
This is the character of a Christian. In the same way, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, notice I didn't say fruits. It's singular, like this is the fruit that when I live a particular way or I do a particular thing or the Spirit resides in me, I have all of these. In the same way, these are not menu items. These are who I am as a follower of Christ. Yes, Jesus really said this. And so he's dealing with people like us. People who think they know God, people who do know God, people who don't know God. And they love following him because he does all kinds of cool things, right? He heals people, he feeds them. He's like a one-stop shop. And so he's walking around town and... He sees all the people, right? It says he sees the people. And so it says that he goes up the mountain and he does like the rabbi thing does and he sits in order to teach people. Which is interesting why we want our pastors to be standing when they preach because Jesus sat, right? But he sits on a mountaintop getting ready to teach. And have you ever asked the question, why does he open with what he does? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's the first thing out of his mouth, at least that we have recorded. He might have said something else. Like, hey, here's an update on me and my twelve. But we have, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed. So let's take this Greek word. I I know typically we always translate it into happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. And, And I want to challenge you right now and say that word is not happy. That is a mistranslation. This word is favored by God. To be blessed is to be favored by God. It's not an emotional thing. This is is not um, a a thing that comes and goes, because as you guys know, happiness comes and goes, right? But favor by God doesn't. Have you ever asked the question, how much... Do I want God's favor? What am I willing to do to receive God's favor? Or do I already think I have it? Do I already have God's favor? I mean, he's putting out this statement here, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. I want us to look at this blessedness, this receiving God's favor, as in this is resulting from a poor in spirit nature. 
So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Poor in spirit means that I have nothing to offer God that is great. The word pouring in the Greek actually translates into beggarly. Beggarly poor in spirit. Now, how many of us have ever seen like the homeless man on the side of the street and he's begging, right? And, and in America, this isn't probably as pronounced, but in some places in the world, if they don't get food from you at that moment, there's a possibility they may die that day. America, there's food everywhere. You can find something for the most part. But what I'm saying is like there is this desire, there's this desperation of beggarliness that Jesus is asking us to have in our character. Think about the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Two men, it's a parable, right? Go up to the temple, stand before it. The Pharisee says, Thank you, God, that I am not like these other sinners. I tithe. I don't cuss. I go to church on Sunday. I behave. I don't do bad things. Not like him. And you have the tax collector. He's just beating on his chest. God, forgive me for I am a sinner. And that's it. Is there a humility within us that allows us to be in that state of God, forgive me for I am a sinner? Or are we one of those who, you know what, God, you're pretty lucky I'm on your team. You know, I could be playing for other people. Right, we have that trend like right now, if you watch professional sports at all, like guys are demanding trades and sitting out and looking for more money, right? Like, you're lucky I play for you. Do we have that same attitude with God? God, you're lucky I'm on your team. Don't you know how good I am? Do you know how well I tithe? How much volunteerism I do? How I don't miss a Sunday? Matter of fact, I go to both services. Like, are there people that we come in contact with that, for lack of a better way of saying it, we kind of turn our nose up to? They're not on our level of Christianity. They're beneath us. Why would you ever invite that person to church? Like these are something, these are the things we really got to wrestle with. And that's why I said, Matt, if you can, please hold the mirror up to you and ask these questions. Because I think if we really get honest, there's a lot of pharisaical behaviors that we display in the world. We really do. Let's be honest. We really do. 
That church becomes about behavior and doing particular things than it does about being in love and in relationship with God and people of the world. Like I sit here sometimes and I think and I listen to the songs that we we sing and sometimes I don't sing them. I, I read what is being said and I wonder if any of us ever ask the question like how can I truly say this word like I surrender all to you God. But if we really hold the mirror up and look at it, we realize there is really no surrender in our world. Like there are things that I keep from God. There are things that I do on my own. There are ways that I handle it myself. Because the person who's poor in spirit realizes that there is nothing they have that they offer God that is of good. In Isaiah it says that our best deeds are dirty rags. But do we believe that? Do we believe that the best that I can do is a dirty rag to God and I'm in such need of a Savior right now. I'm in such desperation for God to love me because don't you know what I do? Don't you know some of the things I say to people? Even if I don't necessarily do something bad, I do mistreat people. When I see violence or a bad situation happening, I turn the other way and I walk. If I see people fighting, I don't want to get involved. And I say, it's none of my business. But I'm the first one to tell you that Jesus tells us to run into the fire, not away from it. Like there's this posture of humility that says, God, I I love you so much. I'm in such need of you. I give you everything that I am. give you everything that I am. Because left to my own devices, I mess things up royally. I really do. Why are we spending so much time on this? Because it's the first one. This is foundational. I told you, it's not a menu. So if we don't understand what poor in spirit means, then the rest of them have no, they can't happen. It's a building block. If you can't catch the ball, I can't teach you how to hit and run and throw because you're going to get hurt the first time a ball comes at you. If you can't kick, I'm not going to teach you how to do a penalty kick because you can't kick. It's foundational. That's why it's first. And Jesus, why would you start there? Couldn't you give me something easy? Right? In baseball, I teach these kids, right? Because I, I, I coach a lot of kids who've never played baseball before. Blows my mind that you have never played a sport before, but the one you choose is baseball. Right? Because any of you know, once you get to the VOL and and start playing high-level baseball here, balls come 85 miles an hour at you. It's already the hardest thing in the world to hit a baseball, period. There's not a thing harder. Science will tell you that. But now you want to do that too? So I wrap up socks because I got to teach these kids how to catch and the balls and I throw them out because most of the time they're like, because they see a hard ball flying at them. It's foundational to teach them how to be confident and stand in front of it and catch it. 
And this is the same thing here. This is foundational. You don't get to mourning and hunger and thirsting for righteousness if we don't even know what being poor in spirit looks like. But how often are we asking God to be present in whatever it is we're getting ready to do? How often? How often are we falling on our face and saying, God, without you, this isn't going to work, and so we need you here? Are we just going through motions? Because we got this. And that's why I say, like, if we get honest and we really look in the mirror, do we understand that there's a lot about us that's pharisaical? Nobody's going to bash you for it. It's, It's all of us. But how many of us are falling on our face before the throne saying, God, I need you. The, the, the smart people that I read that, that tell me about this stuff, the guy even goes in the, as far as to say, would, would you be willing to question your Christianity if you realize just how far away you are from this? Would you be willing to ask yourself, am I really a Christian? Knowing how far I am from God. I mean, it's really easy to ask for God when we need, when we know we need Him, when, when poop's hitting the fan and everything's going crazy. It's easy to ask for help there. But do we ever look at Scripture and look at how much Jesus was actually praying to God through the course of His ministry? Jesus is always praying. Always. Always. And do we not think that Jesus could handle it? It's Jesus, right? Could he not handle it? But even he's falling on his face before the Father. It says that they get the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it gives this idea that salvation becomes theirs when they begin to be able to fall on their face before the throne and ask God for help. Like when we think about faith and just saying, God, I want you to enter into my heart or whatever it is that we go through, the people that we come in contact with and they, and they oh, you've received Jesus, now you're going to be in heaven. What does that look like? Because I think even some of us see that thing and be like, really? That's all you had to do? Everybody under the age of like 60 is going, I had to say the catechisms by memory in front of the entire church. And the elders would quiz me on it. Nobody's laughing at that one. You guys probably didn't do that here. I hear stories all the time about how it used to be, right? And so... But when we, when when poor in spirit is our nature, our nature, not what we do, but who we are, the kingdom of heaven is ours. Salvation is ours. 
The next one goes, Blessed are those who mourn. Remember, we're talking about favor, right? And so, and I asked this question, and I asked the question of how much does favor matter to us? Because my hope is that we would be willing to do whatever it took to receive the favor of God. So that means that I'm not going to be embarrassed of him. So I'm not going to shy away from telling you about Jesus because you don't know him. And I'm afraid of what you might think about me because now it's about me. It's not about God anymore. I've been on this kick. There's this movie that I watched probably 150 times. It's only an hour. It's a two-hour movie, but it's only I only get an hour for free on, on YouTube. But it's called uh, American Christianity. It's either American Christianity or American Gospel. It's one of the two, right? You can look it up. But it opens. It's written by reformed people, right? A lot of people from Westminster um, College or Seminary are active parts of this this video. And it opens with an ex-Muslim guy. It opens with this, right? And I'm like, oh my goodness, what is going on here? And it opens with this Muslim guy saying, I know, I've known Christian people all my life. But never once did any of them share the gospel with me. He goes, so there's only two conclusions that you can come to about that. Either A, they really didn't believe what they say they believe. Because Christianity is an evangelistic faith. Or two, they don't care if I go to hell. If that doesn't hit you in the gut, there's a problem. There's a problem that people think that we want them to go to hell. Because we're not sharing with them the greatest thing that's ever been given to us, salvation. And if you don't believe that to be the greatest thing that's ever happened, you really need to take a look in that mirror. We tell people about movies, we tell people about restaurants, we tell people about nice fitting clothes and diets and, and Tupperware and watches and phones. I got the new IMAX, the iPro phone, right? Boom. We tell people about stuff like this, right? Like we, we have no problem sharing. But we hold on to the greatest thing we've ever received, eternal life. When I heard that, I was like, oh, 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 what, what am I doing wrong here? Because yes, even me, man, there's people that I come in contact with. I go, oh, it's not time. Our relationship isn't there yet. What's that mean, right? What do you mean our relationship's not there? Your relationship's not there to be able to tell me about how not to burn in hell for, for all eternity? And not share the greatest thing you've ever heard. So mourning, those who mourn. Have any of us ever cried about our sin? I don't know if that's pride that doesn't let us raise our hands there. But then we just missed the boat on that one altogether. 
Like, that's why I say hold the mirror, because we have to be willing to look at this, because if we never do it, Christianity is going to continue dwindling the way it is, and the world is going to continue going in the direction that it's going. I tell people all the time, man, we are horrible representatives of Jesus to the world. Horrible. And it really begins because we don't even fully understand what's really going on here. Because, yes, Jesus really said this. And I get challenged by this every day as I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about it. I don't have this. Don't hear me saying that I got this figured out. You guys are terrible. I drop the ball on this all the time. Part of my biggest prayer when I'm preparing for this one is, please, God, don't let me be a hypocrite to these people as I'm talking to them about it because I struggle with this too. Like i got to look in the mirror also. And do we have the ability to mourn over our sin? Do we understand that in Romans 3 it says, no one has good in them to go seeking the Father on their own. No one. Back to Pharisee and tax collector. Are we? I do. I see God all the time. He's lucky I'm on his team. He can be left with them. See that? See them over there? The bench warmers. That doesn't apply to me. But do I have the ability to mourn? Mourn over my sin. Does my heart break when I do something wrong? When I make a mistake? Do we chalk it up as it was just a mistake? It's cool. Jesus died for me already. I'm already forgiven. It's all good. Because I've heard that too. When I, the guy who brought me to Jesus, right? The guy who ushered me in, who was my father in the ministry. He used to get up on Sunday mornings and preach. You could do whatever you want because God's already forgiven it. Say that again. You can do whatever you want. Anything. Because God's already forgiven you. Past, present, and future. That's what he said. Past, present, and future. There's no mourning of sin over there. But why would we mourn over our sin? Like, do we... I don't know if any of you guys have ever watched The Passion, right? Like, the, the real Passion, the movie, right? With the Mel Gibson one. Like, oh my gosh. That movie hurts. It hurts me. Right? Here's where that mourning kicks in, right? The scene where Jesus is getting beat on the on the rail, right? And they have him tied and... And I remember the first time that I watched it, like, I was getting mad. I was sitting in the theater, like, fuming, like, how dare they beat my God, right? Like, I want to jump in the screen and just go fight those Roman soldiers, right? That's how I was feeling, like, man, don't you know who he is? And don't you know what he did for me? Like, I want to save him. I had no recollection of why he was enduring that. None. I was just mad that he was. I was angry that they were beating him. Do 
And you guys ever feel that way? So the next time I watched it, it was probably two or three years later. I'm on the bus at FPU, right, at Fresno Pacific. We're headed down south for a baseball game. And we're watching because we're playing on Good Friday that weekend, right? So we're watching on the bus because it's a Christian university. And I, I, I carry a pillow with me sometimes when I travel. I'm a pillow guy, right? I love pillows. So I always hold one when I sleep like this, right? So I took a pillow with me this time. And we're watching the movie and that scene comes on again. But now I'm in ministry. Things have changed. I have a different understanding of the gospel. And I start crying. I start crying. Because I'm not thinking that the Roman soldier is doing anything wrong to him, I realized that he was being beat because of the things that I do. And he was being beat for my sins. And he was being beat for all the harm that I caused people in the world. And I'm sitting up, I'm a grown man. Right? Six foot one. 275 pounds. I'm a weightlifter. I'm a man. And I'm sitting there holding my pillow, right? It's like right under my eyes. And and I start crying. And I'm like looking, making sure nobody can see me because I'm bawling, right? Because now I feel it's changed, right? Like there's this remorse that I have that I live the way that I do to cause my God to have to endure that. There's a, a sermon thing that I listened to by a guy named Paul Washer, and he, he makes this statement, you know, when we look at the cross and see Jesus crucified on it, they say, oh, look at how much he loved us, he was willing to die for us. And he's like, no, I want you to look at it and see just how wretched man is it. God had to endure that for us. Like there began this morning of... This is where the poor in spirit kicks back in. This is why it's foundational. God, I, I am a wreck. I don't deserve you. I don't. I don't deserve the life that you give me. I don't. I don't deserve the love that you give me. I don't. And I pray that you just keep working with me. Like, can we mourn for our own sins? Can we mourn for the sins of the people around us? Ooh. One of our our, our uh, congregants is named Cliff, and. Uh, he tells me he's crazy because he has these conversations with God, right? And, and he sees these things in Scripture and he's like, Martin, I need you to find me more crazy people to talk to because I think you and Hefty are a little too sane for me to talk to about some of this stuff. 
And uh, I'm like, no, bro, it's cool. Just keep, just keep talking to me about it. And, and one of the things he said to me the other day, and I have never said this, right? As a pastor, as a, as a follower of Christ, I've never said this. He goes, I walk out into the world and I just see how much pain exists. And I want to do something about it. And I want to share the love of Jesus with everyone that I see. Now, the sharing the love of Jesus, I've said, but I've never said I can see the pain in the world and I want to do something about it. I see the sin. I see the lostness. I see the brokenness. I see it. And I want to help. Like There's this mourning that he has for the people who are walking around him. Do we have that? Do we know what that looks like? I mean, I, I know we feel that when our kids are in pain, right? Like we can feel their pain, right? But can I feel the pain of the stranger on the street? Can I feel the pain of someone else who's walking around lost? And want to love them the way someone loved me and introduced Jesus to me. Can I see it? How do you test that? How do I treat people who believe differently than me? How do I treat them? How do, I pe- how do I treat people who may be aggressive because they vehemently believe differently than me? Is my mission to shut them down, to eradicate them, to let them know how they're wrong? Or do I have the ability to see me in them? Can I see me and you in the brokenness and the lostness? Can I see me? It says they shall be comforted. Ooh, I like comfort, right? So who comforts me? Well, Jesus said another's going to come, so that and they call him the Comforter. Hint, hint. The Comforter will be coming. Spirit is going to come. For they shall be comforted. As I'm crying and mourning over sin, the Spirit picks me up. The Spirit comforts. The Spirit takes care of. The Spirit heals. The Spirit brings wholeness. Not something that I do. Yes, Jesus really said this. They will be comforted. 
which means as we're in these places, and so we're only looking at the first two today. I apologize. Um, so I got the third week open. And we're realizing that I have nothing great, nothing awesome to offer God, that everything that I am and that I can do is because of Him, not because of me. And as I look and I see the brokenness in my own world, which causes me to continually looking towards Him for strength and attitude and wholeness and goodness... And as I see the people around me struggling and broken and hurting too, the Spirit surrounds me, begins to build up. And I begin to be able to walk differently because the Spirit dwells within. So I want you just to think about those things for next Sunday as we get into the meekness and the hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Um, But don't be afraid to look in that mirror. This isn't about you. It's not a, a human sermon. It's a God sermon. Like God is the one who is in control. But do we let him be? Or do I take control of my own world, my own life, and say, I got this God, chill? And so we give thanks to God, the Father, that our Savior Jesus, before he suffered, he gave us this memorial of his sacrifice until he comes again. That at his last supper, the Lord Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is my new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim that the Lord's death until he comes again. Therefore, we proclaim our faith as signed and sealed in this sacrament that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Let us pray. Father, send your Holy Spirit upon us. We pray that the bread which we break and the cup which we bless may be to us the communion of the body and blood of Christ. May we and all your children be united with Christ and remain faithful in hope and love. And as this grain has been gathered from many fields into one loaf and these grapes from many hills into one cup, grant, O Lord, that your whole church may soon be gathered from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. Amen.